Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What is going on in college football right now? We're digging through Venmo transactions. We got to talk about sign stealing. We got to talk about potentially having five conference champions being undefeated and one team getting left out. We got Army joining the American Athletic Conference, which we're all here for. Army being in the American Athletic Conference just kind of feels right. Regardless, we're going to talk about all of it. We won't talk so much about Army joining the AAC. We love that, though. Welcome into the Hard Count, the People's College Football Show, talking ball and only ball. Every single day right here on this platform, the On3 YouTube channel. Nothing else that you don't care about baked into this, all right? It's no hot takes. It's no agenda. It's no extracurriculars. It's ball and only ball, and we're glad to have you here. It is Wednesday, October 25th, 2023, the very last one on the face of this earth. So we got to make it a great one. We're going to do that by talking college football and only college football for the next, uh, I don't know, hour and some change. We got our top 10 teams in the entire country, which we refer to here as the nothing but ball poll heading into week nine of the college football season. This is not the AP poll. This is not the coaches poll. This is not the BCS. This is us watching ball sun up to sundown on Saturday afternoons and then giving you our feelings on how we think this whole thing is shaping up. Also, Pulse the Program series was something we did, I suppose it was spring into summer, kind of getting a gauge for the internal Pulse and the fan base Pulse for different teams across the country. We got to revisit that this morning with Ohio State because we were in Columbus when they just, I don't want to say beat the brakes off Penn State, but at the end of that game, it kind of felt like those brakes at the very least were a little bit loose on the Nittany Lions. Uh, Ohio State's rolling. Big hurdle cleared. Feels like they're on a crash course with Michigan yet again. What's up with the Buckeyes? Where do things stand right now? Because I think 2023 for Ohio State has a different vibe to it based on us being in Columbus and being up close and personal with that team. And then also just based on the style they're playing. So we'll talk about that. Texas and the culture. That is a, it's a tale as old as time, right? Every single year, it's, well, where's the culture at with Texas? Yeah, they're talented. Yeah, they've got this many five stars, that many four stars on the roster. Where's the culture at? The poetic thing about college football is more often than not, we get these questions answered on the field. And Texas in 2023 is no exception to that reality. We're just slowly but surely peeling back the layers on the Texas culture onion and the quarterback situation is the next layer we're going to sort of take our our fingers to and try and peel back just a little bit to get a gauge for where Texas is at. Uh, so we'll talk the quarterback situation. We'll talk Texas as a whole. They got BYU this week. Steve Sarkeesian's alma mater. Play him in Austin. Should be a lot of fun. A lot to break down. A lot to talk about. We'll all, we're also going to talk about Michigan yet again. We talked about it yesterday on the live show. We talked about it a little bit, I believe, at the end of last week. We got a lot of thoughts on this, and I talked to several people yesterday and got different opinions from every single one of them. Um, we got some more thoughts on that because I think they're starting to become this, this thought around Michigan and the way that they went about their business and essentially invalidating, if you will, the last couple of years for Michigan. So we got some thoughts on that. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following me on social media, whether it's Instagram, 
whether it's X, formerly known as Twitter, at Jody Pacquel, a great way for you to just keep up with the show in real time. We'll let you know when we're going live. We'll have clips from the show. We'll have a chance for y'all to contribute to the show. We do our best bets on my Instagram page. A lot of content there that we try and incorporate back into this operation. That's kind of the best way for us to stay in uh, in contact, interact in real time. So let's jump into it now. Let's have a great Wednesday. You got a lot on your plate. You got a lot going on. You got a lot going on with work, school, whatever it is. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Great day to be alive. It's college football season. Let's make it a phenomenal week, starting with today, right now, hump day. All right, so Michigan. I don't think we're, I don't think anybody's misaligned here on what's going on with Michigan when it comes to right and wrong. And what I mean by that is like sign stealing as a whole, I said it yesterday, I think they probably did it, right? Like, I mean, you don't buy that many tickets to different Big Ten games. There's not this perceived mountain of evidence or alleged mountain of evidence against this team. And like it, the reality is, yeah, they probably stole signs from where I'm sitting. I don't think that's really a stretch anymore. But I started talking to more people yesterday and we started having these conversations and I just sort of got confused about where this conversation was heading. Because I don't think anybody's disagreeing that if you cheat, that's wrong. Cheating is wrong. There's no way around it. You getting unfair advantage is wrong. Period. Point blank. The end. Mic drop. Like that's the end of that discussion. But then we start going further down that discussion and it's becoming a thing of like questioning Michigan and their success over the last couple of years. And that's, that's one where I think you kind of meet that fork in the road and there's agree and there's disagree. And sometimes you just agree to disagree and go your separate ways. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that because, again, if you're saying they cheated, we agree. And that's wrong. If you say that it's an unfair advantage, we agree. That's wrong. But if you make the leap to, well, they cheated, therefore that's the reason why they've been successful the last couple of years, that's where we don't agree. That's where we kind of got to have a conversation here because I think we get confused with this whole sign stealing saga between the headline and then what actually is going on with sign stealing. Like if you steal signs, that does not 100% equate to you know the football play for a number of reasons. I'll also preface this with this is a legal thing to do in the NFL. At the highest level of football, you can go and steal signs in person. The reason why we don't have this in college football, why it's illegal still illegal you still broke the rules but it's illegal because not every school could afford to send staffers to go and scout in person in this fashion so i understand still against the rules we're not excusing that i'm just saying if it's allowed in the nfl how how much of an impact does it really have would be the the question there so again stealing signs does not equate 110 percent to knowing the play for a couple of reasons the first of which being there was a twitter clip going around yesterday and it was Ohio State, Michigan, and it was a, it was a, I think it was a local TV clip that someone got a hold of and put out on the internet. And very clearly, you see Ohio State check the play, Michigan sideline. It looked like at least looking at Ohio State sideline, and then communicating back to their defense and sort of giving them this signal of like, hey, here's what's coming, here's the play, here's the play. And so whether that actually happened or not, that's the way that it looked. And so that's that's kind of what people ran with on social media and said, Jim Harbaugh, look at this unfair advantage. They're cheating. Look at it broad as day. They're cheating. Unfair advantage. Well, I saw that clip and I was like, huh, we were at that game. That feels like that was pretty early in the game. I wonder if we can find what play that was. So go to the full game on YouTube. 
look up the play, find what matches up with that clip. Y'all, that was a touchdown pass, the play that was going around yesterday. The play where Michigan was supposedly cheating and had the unfair advantage, that was a touchdown pass, which goes back to my point. Just because you potentially have an idea what the sign is doesn't mean you can stop it. And so we talked about that yesterday, like you have to eventually play football and, and there's, you know, just again, a, probably a point where you disagree or you agree with that take. It is what it is. Deion Sanders, I think, said it perfectly. You still got to stop it. That's the first part. The other part of this is there is so much that goes into signs and signing to your offense to where just because you have the sign, again, does not mean you know the play. It does not mean 100% you have the right defense drawn up to stop that play for a couple of reasons. One, any good offensive coordinator, any good football team will change signs I would imagine on a weekly basis, if not semi, semi-weekly basis, like every couple of weeks, maybe you change the signs, depending on what the TV broadcast picked up and things like that. I'll also say this. I did not play FBS football in the SEC or the Big Ten. I played Division I FCS, had a blast doing it, played in the Ivy League, and even in our, our conference, even with what my team did, we changed signalers throughout the course of the game. Meaning, even if you had the signs, it does not guarantee you knew who was signing in the, the, the play. Because the way that this works now, most teams you see a bunch of different quarterbacks on the sideline, maybe it's a GA, and they're all wearing different color hats. And so the coach will tell you, hey, right now, for this first half, red hat is live. Backup quarterback number two, he's live. That, that means all the other signals you're seeing, those are fake signals. Those are not really the play. All right, then in, in the second half, it might be, hey, pink hat is live. The guy with the pink hat on, that's not the signal. Red hat's still doing his sign. Blue hat's still doing his sign. Pink hat is the one that you want to look at. So again, what I'm trying to say is having signs does not equate to knowing the play. So even if you're saying, well, hey, that's unfair advantage. I don't disagree it's an unfair advantage. Knowing the signs, you shouldn't be able to do it. It's against the rules. But going back to the, the point of this whole conversation, to say it's wrong, we agree. To say it's why Michigan has been as good as they are the last couple of years, very much so disagree with that statement. And probably my biggest objection to that statement is it completely dismisses the personnel Michigan's had. Like, again, you want to say, well, you, you got to and play ball, and that's not, you know, if, if you know the play, it doesn't matter. Like, that's a whole other conversation. But football is about matchups. Football is about the players. It's about the players. And so to say that Michigan is only good or only had success because of the whole sign-stealing thing just feels irresponsible and totally dismissing what they've had on the roster. Like, look at the guys they've had. Aiden Hutchinson, first-round pick, currently tearing it up in the league with the Detroit Lions. I don't think sign-stealing probably was changing what he was doing a whole lot. Blake Corum was in the Heisman Trophy race last year, one of the best backs in college football. Don't think that changes his race when it comes to the Heisman Trophy too much. Will Johnson, NFL corner, going to be an NFL corner. Mike Sandra still going to be an NFL DB. Probably the best offensive line, not probably, the best offensive line in the country the last two years. That's not changing things. Like, it just, it dis, it's, it's frustrating because it's disrespectful to the personnel Michigan's had the last couple of years. And I don't have a dog in the fight here. Like, you'll notice the loudest voices against Michigan right now, as you would expect, are opposing fan bases that are directly rival to Michigan. I understand that. I'm for that. I don't have any problem with that. But again, to say that's the only reason Michigan's been good, we're kidding ourselves here. We're absolutely kidding ourselves here. So one more thing I would say, there is also this assumption here that Michigan and the sign stealing that they did 
allegedly, like totally just slanted the playing field a ton. That was already perfectly level. And I'm not like pointing the finger at any specific program, but what I would say is if Michigan got caught doing something against the rules, I would encourage us to turn over the entire rock and look under there with every other football team and say, okay, are they doing it 110% by the book? And I'm not talking about sign stealing. I'm talking about hours a week rule. We sure everybody that Michigan's playing, they're not going over that hours a week rule where we're 1000% sure. Because I feel like you could probably, again, go into every single football team in America from D1 probably to D2, D3 and find something that doesn't totally perfectly fit with exactly the letter of the law the NCAA has laid out. So if we're saying that this was somehow, again, perfectly, the, the, the perfectly level playing field is now ruined because of what Michigan did, I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying it's right. But I'm saying to imagine that the unfair advantage Michigan had here was the only unfair advantage that was had in the football games they played. Come on now. Come on. Let's, let's, let's use our noggin a little bit here. Let's use our noggin here. You got caught. We're not excusing this. I'm also not excusing the fact that just because Ohio State scored on that play, if Michigan stole their signs and if they knew that play, well, then that's too bad. They didn't stop it. That's on them. It's, that's not evidence that sign stealing is ever okay. But I think it does, again, go back to the point that just because of these signs and the, and the sign stealing thing, there should be consequences, but let's not just throw away Michigan's success the last couple of years. The NFL did it by nature of who they've taken from those football teams and who they're going to take this upcoming draft with those football teams. I mean, there's going to be double-digit guys drafted from Michigan this year. I don't think they care what signs they did or didn't have. So as a whole, if, if you think sign stealing is wrong, we're with you. I'm not for sign stealing. I don't agree with sign stealing. That's wrong. No matter how you put it, that is cheating. That is an unfair advantage. But to say Michigan still wouldn't be Michigan with this whole sign stealing stuff, I have a very, very difficult time getting on board with that. So let me know in the comment section. Let me know via social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you operate with. Let me know how you feel about the whole sign stealing situation. And uh, yeah, I'd be curious to hear, hear your thoughts on that. Because it, it's so fascinating, man. There's so many facets to it. There's so many opinions on it. And uh, I'm just, I mean, the, the next thing I'm curious, and this is kind of a rabbit hole, the next thing I'm curious to, to learn about, uh, how did this come to light? A lot of conspiracy theories I have on that. I'll save those for right now. But feels like a lot of information became available in a short period of time. And uh, just curious how that all came to be. So another conversation for another time. If you're watching right now, go ahead and like the video. Go ahead and subscribe to the channel. This is ball and only ball around here. And we're glad to have you a part of it. We're glad to have you guys dialed in with us accordingly. All right. Speaking of ball and only ball, every Sunday morning on my Instagram page, on my Twitter page, I'll put out my top 10 teams based on what happened the previous Saturday. On Wednesdays on this show, we kind of walk through that because Tuesday's our prediction day. And we don't want to go like two hours long on our live show, unless y'all want us to. So let me know if you want to go two hours on a Tuesday. Uh, but I want to walk through our top 10 teams in the country as it stands right now. Again, this is called the nothing but ball poll for a reason. It is not the AP poll. It is not the coaches poll. It is not the BCS. It is not the college football playoff committee's rankings. This is how we see things. Now, I would say this too. We take into account the college football playoff when we put together these rankings. So we're just like y'all. We sit down. We watch sunup to sundown. We start with our pregame show, whether it's Big Noon or College Game Day, or maybe we're at a game. Maybe we're getting on the field and kind of getting a feel for warmups and all that. But like bottom line, college football from the start of the day 
well into the Sunday morning, depending on what's going on with Pac-12 after dark, uh, that's how we go ahead and kind of get a gauge for these rankings. So if they match up with the AP, good for the AP. If they don't, sorry, AP. That's how we roll. All right, so let's start here at number 10, a team that we saw this past weekend in Columbus, Ohio. That was Penn State. So Penn State, yes, they lost to a good Ohio State team in Columbus. I would be slow to sell my stock on Penn State for a couple of reasons. The first is, I like the way they're built still. If you're a Penn State fan, you come out of that game, and a lot of people have said this already, but I'll say it again. I don't think that they had their best approach offensively. Now, far be it for me to tell that Penn State offensive staff how they should have gone about that game, but it felt like maybe their best players could have had more of an impact on that game with Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton. So there's that. I think Drew Aller as well will be better because of his experience in that game. You're saying, J.D., he was like, 18 for 40 something he's gonna be better because of that game yes he will because that was a tough road environment he got his first taste of an elite opponent and I think depending on how he responds from that there's a chance for him to improve and grow and meet the expectation meet the moment next time it comes around so the bad news is you lost right the bad news is you no longer control your own destiny when it comes to the big 10 title race the good news is you're not out of it you need some help sure but the good news is if you take care of business and you finish the year with one loss and your one loss is to a top 10 Ohio State Buckeyes and maybe Big Ten champion Ohio State Buckeyes, that's a pretty solid resume. Pretty solid resume. And I think you feel okay about still finding your way into the college football playoff. Maybe not amazing, maybe not perfect, but I'm just saying I think you're set up to be right there in the hunt. So again, by the way, they're built by what they've done to this point. By the way, they played Ohio State even. I thought they played them really tough for the most part, for the majority of like three and a half quarters, three quarters. Penn State, for me, number 10 team in the country. At number nine, this team, man, this is a team that I've, I've said it many times. I'll say it one more time. Ole Miss owes the rest of the college football landscape an apology because they had Alabama on the ropes. Alabama coming off the Texas loss and they just kind of sleepwalk through USF and everyone's like, told you, Bama's down. Told you, Nick Saban lost his fastball. Told you, no quarterback play. We told y'all. And Alabama heard that and they just continue to get better each and every week. But I go back to Ole Miss because Ole Miss had them after USF and that was their chance to take down Bama and for Bama to be a two-loss football team. They're out of the college football playoff based on what history says. And Bama just continues to stick around on the island that is the college football playoff reality show. Continue to stay in week in and week out. This past week was no exception. They beat Tennessee in comeback fashion in the second half of that football game. Got a bye this week. Huge, huge, huge game against LSU this upcoming week in week 10. So not this week, but next week. Uh, Jalen Milrow. The way that he has evolved so far for Alabama to this point in the year, I don't think we have the same Jalen Murrow or the same Alabama team that we saw week two play against Texas continue to trend upward. Jalen Murrow, maybe he's not what you want as an Alabama fan. Maybe he's not Bryce Young. Maybe he's not throwing the football all over the yard for 400 yards a game and just keeping you alive in, in, in games. Like Maybe he's not that guy, but I think he's a lot closer to what you need than what he was at the beginning of the season. Makes plays with his legs when he has to. He's shown he's able to push the ball downfield and does a really good job doing it. You have some receivers kind of coming into their own. I like Alabama. They would make me nervous if I'm anybody else in the SEC. You're hoping and praying LSU takes them down next week. 
if you're anyone else in the SEC when it comes to their college football playoff aspirations. But all that's to say, Alabama for us, number nine this week in the nothing but ball poll. At number eight, the Oregon Ducks. And one of the things that I love so much about Oregon is how battle-tested they are. Like, the way they responded after that Washington loss and beat Washington State the next week. Because everyone else across the country, right? A lot of people had big games the weeks before or maybe two weeks before and kind of had a letdown spot. Texas, Oklahoma, Washington even, with the way they played against Arizona State. Oregon took care of business. I think the psyche of that football team is really solid. You know how I feel about them on the line of scrimmage. They're number one in the country in terms of yards per carry, averaging right around six yards a carry. That Y'all, that, that's ridiculous. Really good test for them this week against Utah, who has been the class of the Pac-12 the last couple of seasons. I think for Oregon, they're on boom watch. They're on boom watch because they got their one loss out of the way. I think they have a little more sense of urgency right now. Obviously, you wish you hadn't had one loss, but I'm just saying with Dan Lanning running that show and with how experienced Bo Nix is, I think they're poised to do some really, really good things in November. It'll be a difficult stretch. This is probably the biggest you know, opponent, or rather the most difficult opponent, the most difficult spot they have this week at Utah. But Oregon just continuing to stay in the race, continuing to stay in the fight, and uh, the way they're built, I think, is going to show itself in November. Because November, it's a line of scrimmage month, right? Like everyone's dinged up, everyone's hurt, everyone's tired. Maybe your skill players are 100% healthy, by the nature of it being week 10, week 11, we're in week nine right now. Like you would imagine everyone's kind of starting to get some more tread on the tires. I think Oregon's in good shape there. I think they're going to be able to run the football. I think they're going to be able to, again, rely back on that experience the rest of the way here. Oregon for us, number eight this week, the nothing but ball pull. Speaking of being dinged up, we'll talk about this team a little bit later in this live show, but the Texas Longhorns at number seven this week. And I want to make sure we say this. They escaped Houston. I do not believe they were exposed at Houston. Quinn Ewers goes down. Texas was at a point where they could run away with that football game, up 21-0. They're banged up in the secondary. Like, let down spot after the bye week, after Red River. It is what it is. I'm not overly concerned about it. Now, we're going to talk about this. Again, I said this already. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the live show in a minute. But they have had every possible culture test imaginable to this point. The Alabama game. How do you handle success after that? That's a big win. Okay, you handle it okay. Oklahoma, you lose that game. Close game, gritty back and forth kind of game, rivalry game. Have a bye week, you'll play Houston. How do you handle that loss? They handled it in the sense of if it were pass-fail, they passed. Maybe they don't get an A+, but you still, I mean, hey, C's get degrees, baby. And so Texas got out of Houston uh, with a C kind of effort in some sense. The big key for them this weekend against BYU, whoever's playing quarterback, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's Malik Murphy based on the way that this thing has trended and based on the fact that he was the guy that came into the game against Houston. Big, big key for them will be to make him comfortable. Whether it's running the football, holding it down on defense, very important that he is able to play within himself and not have to press and be the guy to win the game for you. So, We'll talk more about Texas in a second, but for us, they're number seven in the nothing but ball poll. At number six, I want to kind of say the same thing. We got Washington. Nothing fraudulent about them. Not fraudulent, just a letdown spot after a big win over Oregon. You go on, or not on the road, rather. You, you play at home again for the second week in a row. Arizona State comes to town. A sneaky Arizona State team, might I add. I think they're, they're headed the right direction under Kenny Dillingham. I was encouraged they won a rock fight. 
Because I've sat here a couple of weeks in a row and been like, well, I don't know about I don't know about Washington, man. Like they kind of got one trick up their sleeve, and that is score a whole lot of points. And if they don't score a whole lot of points, where are they at? They won this game with a defensive touchdown. So I was encouraged to see that from Washington. Uh, the gauntlet for them starts in November. They're at USC, Utah, at Oregon State, Washington State. The stylistic matchups we're going to get from Washington going forward here will tell us a lot and just be a lot of fun to watch. Against USC could kind of be that track meet feel. USC's defense has got their own issues, but if Caleb Williams can kind of rally the troops, circle the wagons a little bit, could have a lot of points scored. Then you go to the Utah kind of game. That'll be smash mouth, try and play in a phone booth. Can Washington score enough points to be able to, to get ahead of that kind of situation, just kind of set the pace in that game? We'll break down those games when they get here, but the bottom line, Washington's season will be determined by what happens in those games. Keep an eye on this now. Even if Washington drops one of those games, could still very well find themselves in the Pac-12 title game and play Oregon for a rematch of the Pac-12 title. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. We'll see if Oregon gets there. But for us, Washington, number six in the nothing but ball poll. We kind of got a theme here, seven through five. At five, we've got Oklahoma. They beat UCF, not exposed, found a way to get it done. I think UCF, to be honest with y'all, was the most difficult matchup for Oklahoma to draw, or the, rather, this was the worst spot for Oklahoma with them playing UCF. Because UCF now, the way they run their offense, they do so much with misdirection and with tempo and with messing with the second and third level of the defense. And we talk about Oklahoma a lot. They're aggressive defensively. They want to get after you. And UCF, through the kitchen sink at Oklahoma, did a great job being able to set the pace with what they did offensively. And credit Oklahoma, found a way to get it done. Found a way to get it done. This is still a team that I think is figuring out how to have things expected of them, if that makes sense. I'm not talking about the fan base. There's always expectations in Norman, Oklahoma, so we, we understand that. But I'm saying it went from Oklahoma being the 6-7 and seven football team. Can Brent Venables be the guy? What's up with Oklahoma? Are they going to be any good when they go to the SEC? Should we pound the alarm? Like All that nonsense was said in the offseason. And now Oklahoma is like, well, hey, they, they control their own destiny. They could be a college football playoff team. They're going to be the better roster the rest of the way. They're at Kansas this week. The latest that I've seen is Jalen Daniels, the quarterback for Kansas, who's a, a problem if he's able to play in this game, considered like questionable slash doubtful. So we'll see what happens there. If he does play, that could, could change the complexion of things. But how they handle the win over UCF going forward is going to tell us a lot. My hope would be, and the expectation for me, honestly, is that Oklahoma now being able to escape a spot like that against UCF kind of creates some new sense of urgency, this understanding that, hey, we, we can't just show up and play against a lesser brand, lesser logo, and just walk out with a dev. Like, it takes a little bit more than that. So I think Brent Venables will get them ready to go, and uh, I'm excited to see how they respond again from that kind of a game. At number four, we got Florida State. The good news, still undefeated, and they have an incredible response mechanism. Talk about that a lot with Florida State. One of the best teams responding in the country, in my humble opinion. Now, the bad news is they've had to exercise that response muscle quite a bit to this point in the year. You talk about the Boston College game, the Clemson game, uh, the game against uh, Duke this past week was no exception. So I love that you're able to get off the ropes. My concern is, hey, why are we on the ropes so much? So we'll see what happens in Florida State going forward. They'll still play Miami. They'll still play Florida. Those will be good tests for them, rivalry kind of games. You kind of throw logic out the window. Um, my thing for them, the determining factor for them for success when it comes to the rest of the season and the college football playoff will be what does the run game look like in November? We said it for Oregon a little bit ago. 
the line of scrimmage and how that's going to show itself for them this latter part of the season, that has to be a thing for Florida State because you've already seen it. They've had some skill players dinged up, and you're going to get in these games where who knows what weather looks like if it's a little bit slippery. And I mean, I'm not a you know meteorologist by any stretch of the imagination, but what I want to make sure we say is Florida State has to be multiple offensively. We know they can throw the football. We know Keon Coleman was developed in a lab. We understand that. Johnny Wilson the same way. Like Jaheim Bell, freak show over the middle. We all, we're all on the same page there. No one's questioning their ability to throw the football. But you got to have balance to be able to win some of these games in November when teams do take away that pass game or at least do a better job of managing the pass game. So Lawrence Toafili is someone I'm watching going forward. We'll see how they look running the football. They look great against Syracuse, have left something to be desired against Duke, which Duke is a good defense, but I'm just saying that has to be there for Florida State if they want to be a team that ends up in that Final Four and wins the ACC as a whole. At number three, got Ohio State. Ohio State, another team we have a segment on a little bit later in the show. I think it's Ohio State 2.0 right now. I really do. I mean, I think what we've seen from them to this point in the year doesn't match up with the snapshot of what we expected Ohio State to be based on the last couple of seasons, because it's not Justin Fields throwing the ball around the yard. It's not C.J. Stroud in this offense scoring 40 a game, but it's tough. It's scrappy. They have the best resume in the country right now with a win at Notre Dame and a win over Penn State in Columbus. We'll talk more about this in a second, but I think Ohio State is playing SEC style of football. And what I mean by that is the way that they are attacking the line of scrimmage, the way that they're moving the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively, And the way they're kind of just having the offense squeeze you once the defense takes care of business, like it feels very much so game control-ish. I'm excited to see what they do here against Michigan when it comes to that game. Because I think Ohio State now is is a different operation than what they've been in the past. And we'll talk more about that here in just a second. But uh, yeah, Ohio State for me, number three in the country. Now we could swap one and two if you've watched our show or, or if you have watch what we do on Sunday when it comes to the Sunday sprint. We kind of give you where things stand when it comes to college football playoff rankings. We talk about that on Sunday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. Uh, we have Michigan at two. If you have them at one, hey, it is what it is. No problems there. No, no qualms. Uh, I think Michigan has been the most dominant team in the country, to be real with y'all. They throttled Michigan State. I see a new gear offensively for them, and a lot of that is attributed to J.J. McCarthy. A lot of that, I think, is also attributed to the weapons because everybody's had this preseason. Hey, if you, want to, if you want to get over that hump, you want to win a national title, the offense, we need to be a little bit more multiple. J.J. McCarthy, this was the headline everyone was saying. Can we get the next step from J.J. McCarthy? And I think we've seen that, but I don't think we should dismiss either the weapons and how they've taken the next step. Roman Wilson is a walking, receiving touchdown every single week, it feels like. Colston Loveland, I said it before, one of the most underrated tight ends in the country. I think he's a chess piece for that offense. You know what the running back room already was, but what they have when it comes to throwing the ball downfield right now, yes, it's J.J. McCarthy, but I think also those weapons and how they've stepped up in a big way and taken their game to a new level has put unique pressure on defenses to honor Michigan in different ways. And if you don't honor them in those ways, then those weapons will hurt you. I don't know that we saw that quite as much last year. We're seeing it right now. Michigan, for me, number two in the country going into week nine. Now at number one, I got Georgia. And a lot of people say, well, J.D., if this is the nothing but ball pull, and you're, you're making Georgia number one, you must not be watching ball. All right. Hey, I hear you. If we're the last to get off the Georgia at number one branch, we're okay with that. The reason why I have Georgia at number one, first of all, they had a bye last week, and I'm not going to drop them after not playing a game. 
That's the first part of this. Second part of this is we've seen a lot change within Georgia the last couple of years. We haven't seen the result change at Georgia. And what I mean by that is we've seen coordinators change. We've seen quarterbacks change. We've seen personnel change. Doesn't matter. Georgia just continues to play to their standard. They develop like nobody else and put the best product on the field. And when it's time to win, they play their best football. And I think we're going to see that from Georgia in November. Now, Brock Bowers is out. And that's obviously a detriment to them roster-wise. But I'm curious, and I've said this before, there's no way to spin Brock Bowers' injury as a positive. You're not better with him not on the field. Like, that's, that's a reality. What I would say, though, is I think Kirby Smart now has the undivided attention of his football team if he didn't already before. And there's a chance now to create some more sense of urgency to say, hey, number 19 is not in the game. It's going to take more from you. Going to take more from you. Going to take more from you. Can you rise to the occasion? I think Kirby Smart challenging his football team and making the mission clear. There's nobody better in the country at getting their guys ready to play than Kirby Smart with motivation at that point in time. And I think that he has that now. So for me, Georgia is number one in the country when it comes to the nothing but ball poll. To recap it for you, Penn State at 10, Alabama at 9. We have Oregon at 8, Texas at 7, Washington at 6, Oklahoma at 5, Florida State at 4, Ohio State at 3, Michigan at 2, and Georgia at 1, heading into week 9, just after week 8. So let me know on Instagram, let me know on Twitter, your thoughts on our rankings when it comes to those top 10. Again, if we happen to match up with the AP poll, I truly did not check if we did or didn't, but I think we might be close. Uh, Good for the AP. We appreciate them watching a little bit of ball and uh, appreciate them matching up with us there. So that's where we stand today when it comes to the top 10 in the country. All right, now we, uh, we talked about this a lot in the off season and I wanna revisit it here. Before we do that though, make sure you like the video. We got a mean streak going right now. Mean streak going. If, if you don't mind liking that video, getting us over 100 likes before we get off the air, that would be greatly appreciated. So thank you so much for that. Um, also make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on over here on this show, The Hard Count, on the wonderful platform that is the On3 YouTube channel. We did a lot of posts to the program. Was was kind of a series we had over the course of the spring and into the summer. And it was essentially just kind of taking a, a pulse, as is true to the, the title of the segment, of what was going on and what the feel was internally as best we could tell in the fan base as well. So I think it's a appropriate time right now, after being in Columbus and feeling like we got a pretty good gauge for things, of the pulse of the program for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Before we do that, make sure you subscribe right here to the On3 YouTube channel. Ohio State fans had a lot of y'all join the party within the last couple of weeks. Got to hear from a lot of y'all after we made our pick for Penn State, Ohio State. Got to hear a lot from from y'all after uh, we apologized for our pick for Ohio State, Penn State. Bottom line, we want y'all dialed in, want y'all subscribed, and would love to have y'all a part of this operation. So for Ohio State now, what do they have left? Because you just beat... Penn State, which was arguably the, the second, t- not arguably, it was probably the second toughest hurdle for you this season. Um, probably going to be, and that's including Michigan as the toughest hurdle. So bottom line, you're undefeated after beating Notre Dame, after beating Penn State. You got the best resume in the country. So what do they have left at Wisconsin, at Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota, at Michigan? By the way that things look and feel, they're on a crash course to once again play Michigan with the chance to go to the Big Ten title game and more than likely have that be a, a game that will determine some college football playoff scenarios as well. The pulse for me, when it comes to Ohio State, 
after what we saw this past weekend, what we've seen from them with that win over Notre Dame and just the overall feel for me right now with Ohio State, the pulse is no apologies. No apologies. I think they're kind of embracing that villain arc, if you will. Hey, Michigan's supposed to go for three in a row. This is the year for Jim Harbaugh to finally get over the hump and win a national title. Ohio State's kind of sitting back in the shadows. Pretty comfortable now being the underdog, the bad guy, the villain. Penn State, hey, this is the year for Penn State to ascend and be one of those top-tier Big Ten teams. They got a new quarterback. They got more talent across the board than they've ever had. That was me saying that. Ohio State said to Kimbe Mutombo, no, 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 finger wag style in Columbus. Took him to school. Marvin Harrison Jr. was developed in a lab. Pretty sure he is just not even a real human being. I think he was born on Krypton. Ohio State is embracing the fact that they are the villain and they make no apologies for it. And the other thing I want to say too with Ohio State, we said it earlier in this live show, but I want to echo back to it right now. The visual in our mind of what we've come to expect from Ohio State Buckeye football is great quarterback play, Heisman Trophy level quarterback play, scoring 40 points a game, shootout kind of football, exciting to watch week in and week out, like they're high flying. And yeah, they were dinged up this past weekend, but like to this point in the year, that hasn't been Ohio State. They've been scrappy. They've been playing really tough defensively. The, the Ohio State offense has been applying pressure with running the football. Kyle McCord's been, I don't want to say a game manager, but he's been a field general of sorts, doing what's been asked of him, get the ball to playmakers, will win scoring 20 points. Like that was how they got down this past weekend against Penn State. And guess what? They don't apologize for it. They're more than happy playing that brand of football, playing a tough brand of football, and getting it done. Same thing with that Notre Dame game. 17 points was all it took to win. You know why? Because the defense has elevated their play to a whole new level. Like Emerald, kick it up a notch. And I think for me, the best way to, to sum this up when it comes to the Ohio State defense, because that is the differentiating factor, to be clear, with what they've brought to the table this year and what they weren't last year, they have gone as an Ohio State defense from being conversational in the Jim Knowles defense to now being fluent in the Jim Knowles defense. Now, we all understand... Those are two similar things. They're also two very different things. Like if you put me in Spanish class, I could probably get by if you gave me a few lessons and if I was there for a semester, I could probably be conversational. But if you dropped me off in Spain and told me to go and order a meal and, and find my way to the nearest hotel, y'all, I, I would be I would be in trouble. I would not be fluent because everyone around me is fluent, but I would not be fluent. I would kind of have a feeling of what I'm supposed to do. I would maybe know what to do, but I couldn't just do it without thinking. And that's where Ohio State is now defensively. We talk about it a lot with Jim Knowles, Cornell grad, shout out Jim Knowles, mad hatter, mad scientist, whatever label you want to put to it. His defense is very complex. It's counterintuitive. It's a tendency breaker. That's why it has been so effective with wreaking havoc with most of the places that he's been as a defensive coordinator. But last year, Ohio State and Ryan Day has said as much, like they have a better feel for what to do this year than what, than what they had to do last year. Like if you know your assignment, that's great. But when you're able to know your assignment and execute your assignment without even having to think about it and it's just instinctual football, then your talent gets to take over. Then the ability of what you have on that roster gets to take over. Because even last year, I don't think a lot of us questioned the personnel at Ohio State. None of us really thought like, yeah, man, they just got... Got a bunch of three stars out there. Got a bunch of three stars running around and they're just, you know, making it happen with the scheme. No, they've always had dogs. And they went to the portal to even get some more dogs, in my opinion, based on what they have in the secondary. But like, that's always been who Ohio State was. 
And so now with the way that they are in a position to play instinctual, play fast, play free within this defense, that's allowed the offense to play a different style as well. Because again, it's not Justin Fields. It's not CJ Stroud. It's Kyle McCord. And guess what? Kyle McCord to this point in the year has been more than good enough. More than good enough. And a big part of that is because you have Marvin Harrison Jr. out wide for you. You can force feed him the football. He's been the guy. He's been the differentiator for you. And that's great. But like, to me, and I said this earlier, like, I think Ohio State right now, just because they have the Ohio State uniform and helmets on, to me, they're playing an SEC style of football. Like, we're going to apply pressure to you defensively, squeeze the life out of you. Our offense will get points. We need to get points. And we're going to win a low-scoring football game and be happy doing it. Do it with a smile on our face. And I think that they are, again, making zero apologies for playing that style of football. Now, I also want to make sure we, we say this because we got to be, and we're, we're very fortunate to be able to do this, to go to Columbus, Ohio, to be on the sideline for different points during that football game, to walk around during warm-ups, to walk around on the field after the game even. And it was electric in every sense of the word. To me, this feels like a more scrappy Ohio State football team. Like, they're not standing on anyone's shoulders. They're not standing on 2022 or 2021 Ohio State. Like, this is a brand new Ohio State kind of football team. And not just from an approach standpoint, but even from just, like, uh, what they haven't achieved the last couple of years standpoint. Like, you can't look at 2022 and say, yeah, we're the Big Ten champs. They're not. I feel like this is, in a good way, in the most healthy sense of the word, a desperate Ohio State football team. And you could feel that sense of urgency from them when we were on the field watching them warm up. I'm watching Brian Hartline get ready with the receivers. And they kind of bring it in after they do a couple of drills and they're getting ready to go to a team period before they go back in the locker room. And Brian Hartline, with this just intense look in his eye, looks at the entire receiver group and says, you bring the best version of yourself today. And some of us may just dismiss that and say, well, that's coach speak. J.D., every coach gives their position group a pep talk before they get out there I'm telling you the feeling and the way that which he said this this was a feeling of like hey we need everybody to bring it today no disrespect to anybody else in the Big Ten but we got Penn State today like they knew that was a football game that they could very well have lost if they did not bring the best version of themselves Kyle McCord I'll go back to another example in pregame we got to see them run out of the tunnel and right before kickoff I'm imagining this is something Kyle McCord does before every football game so maybe this isn't super out of the ordinary but it felt very intense to me walks to the edge of the end zone and you see him just take this enormous just deep breath deep breath out kind of closes his eyes kind of gets centered for a minute and like that was a guy who I think wholeheartedly knew this was going to be a battle this was not a situation where Ohio State was going to just walk out there play their brand of football and get out with a dub like it was going to take every single ounce of what Kyle McCord had that day and it was good enough that day but going back to what I said desperate scrappy in the best sense of the word the sense of urgency at Ohio State I think is something that hasn't really been there to this degree the last couple of years I'm not saying it hasn't been there period I'm saying what they're doing right now this is a team that really feels a lot of pressure in the best sense of the word like Ryan Day I'll give you one more story end of the game Penn State Ohio State Ohio State gets the dub like it's it's just a party in Columbus and Ryan Day is like embracing his family giving daps to the people around him giving hugs and it just like you could you could see from Ryan Day just the sense of relief the sense of joy and I heard him say clear as day let's celebrate like, it wasn't a thing of, like, good, we beat Penn State. We're supposed to beat Penn State. On to the next one. It was like, hey, this is a big deal. This is a big win for our football team. This was a battle for us. We found a way to get it done. 
And I, I understand it's not, it's not novel to be happy about winning a football game in a top 10 matchup. But I'm telling you, the sense that we get from this Ohio State football team is a lot of internal pressure on themselves because they, they got enough external pressure coming from everywhere around them. But the internal pressure they have on themselves, I think, is going to help eliminate complacency going forward for Ohio State. And I think it's going to serve them well when it comes to that game against Michigan, when it comes to their chance to potentially be in the college football playoff. We'll predict those games when they get here. But again, I think this is a different, more scrappy, more desperate Ohio State team we've seen in the past. And I think they make no apologies about it. Last thing I'll say, I do think that the offense has to find another evolution, but the reality of what they're doing defensively is going to give them time to find that evolution. And as long as you have a Mecca Ebuka and you have Marvin Harrison Jr., you're going to be in good shape. So for Ohio State, again, the pulse of the program is zero apologies, no apologies, none, and they're very comfortable embracing that villain role. And I think they're doing it really effectively. Just ask the rest of their schedule to this point how effective they've been doing that. Hey, appreciate y'all dialed in, man. Let's go ahead and get a few more likes. There will be over 100. Uh, about to get to some of y'all's questions, thoughts, concerns. Bringing on the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake, in just a few minutes here. So get into the live chat. Let us know what's on your mind, what's on your heart when it comes to college football. Could be Michigan, could be Ohio State, could be Texas, who we're about to talk about here in a second. Could be your top 10 teams. Uh, yeah, love hearing from y'all. The best part about this show, and I'll say it again, kind of give you a, a quick tangent here. The best part about the show is y'all. And I say this a lot, like, we, we don't exist without y'all on the other side of this operation. We get the camera, we get the mic, we get to go to different college football games during the season, and like, y'all, that is, that is a dream come true for yours truly. We are, we are kids in a candy store. But none of that happens if y'all aren't dialed in, watching, telling your friends, subscribing, all that. Like, y'all make this the show that it is. That's why I refer to it as a program, as a team, as a community. So we appreciate y'all tremendously for that. The best thing that... I get to do is, is check direct messages from y'all and hear from y'all about uh, the show that y'all are liking or your takes on the show, whatever. So with that being said, let's roll into another segment here. Uh, what's up with the, the Texas culture, right? It's a buzzword. Everyone wants to talk about Texas and culture and where it's at. It's this, it's that. Everyone's got an opinion. That's fine. But I think this Texas quarterback situation is very unique in the sense of where it's arriving and where Texas sits right now in 2023 and what's ahead of them. So when it comes to Texas, everyone's asking the question, as soon as Quinn Ewers went down, can Texas still win the Big 12? Take it a step further, can Texas still make the college football playoff? Like how long is Quinn Ewers out for? At the time of us being live, we don't have any reports as to Quinn Ewers and when he will be back. The report is that it's not season ending. Steve Sarkeesian said yesterday, I believe it was, or maybe it was Monday, that they're going to take it week to week, day to day. So where things stand right now, can Texas still make the college football playoff? Can they still win the Big 12 even without Quinn Ewers for a short period of time? You hope it's shorter rather than longer, but can they do without him and still be able to make those things happen? My answer emphatically, yes, they can. Will they? We'll see. Can they? Absolutely. They have a better roster than every team that they have left to play against. What they have left is BYU, Kansas State, at TCU, at Iowa State. Those could be tricky. Kansas State also, play them in Austin. You're, you're glad you're doing that, but that's a, a good roster, probably the most losable game, quote-unquote. And then you play Texas Tech to finish the year. The quarterback situation, as it stands right now, I personally would be surprised if it's not Malik Murphy playing in this game against BYU. He said they'll, they'll have... Arch Manning getting a ton of reps. They'll have Malik Murphy getting a ton of reps. 
I just, I feel like you go with the experience here. We'll see what happens. I'm not predicting that, but that's the assumption I'm under right now. Um, everyone else in this spot for BYU, and this isn't novel, but I think we've got to talk about it, will need to carry a little bit extra without Quinn Ewers, right? Like everyone has to be on their P's and Q's when you don't have your number one quarterback in the football game. Because Malik Murphy, as good as I believe he is physically, as highly touted as he was as a recruit, this will still be his first meaningful minutes, rather, for Texas as the starting quarterback, right? Like, it's going to take a second for him to totally get comfortable. So you have to do everything in your power as a Texas football team, offensively and defensively, to make his job easier. Defensively, like, I think it's almost as important as what you do offensively. You can't have a situation where you ask Malik Murphy in his start against BYU, if that ends up being the case, to go and chase points. You can't go down 10-0, 14-0 and say, hey, sorry, Malik. Sorry, man, I know, it's, I know it's your first time out here being the starting quarterback, but like, got some problems. Can you help us? Now, I think Malik Murphy, to be clear, is not incapable of coming back from a lead, but you don't want to ask that of your quarterback in this kind of spot. I would also say, when it comes to the offensive side of things, you need to be able to run the ball. Right? Like we said that on our one-off video on Monday. I'm telling it to you right now on the live show. Have to be able to move the line of scrimmage. Now, the good news for Texas, BYU, not great stopping the run, allowing 4.5 yards a carry. But that would do a lot for Malik Murphy from a psyche perspective, from a confidence perspective, from letting the game come to him perspective, if you can move the line of scrimmage for a couple of reasons. The first one being easier picture with the defense. Like, it is difficult to be exotic defensively and rock and roll the safeties and lie with your coverages if you're getting gashed in the run game. That's the first part. Other part, more manageable situations. You got a lot more plays in the playbook and a lot more element of mystery if you're living in third and three than if you're living in third and eight, third and nine. So being able to run the ball early is a very big part of this. Like, both of those things I was talking about with the defense holding it down and the offense running the football, I really think that's a first-half storyline. Like, if you can settle Malik Murphy into this football game and get him comfortable, I don't think you have anything pushing the ball downfield that you didn't have with Quinn Ewers. Notice what I did not say. I did not say Malik Murphy is as good as Quinn Ewers. I did not say Malik Murphy should be the starting quarterback for Texas the rest of the way, but they have a ton of confidence in Malik Murphy. They believe that he can make the throws that need to be made. They believe he can push the ball downfield and get the ball to their playmakers. Like, you don't have to just radically change your game plan. I don't think we see a brand new Texas offense because Malik Murphy's in the game and not Quinn Ewers. Okay, now what I would say is when it comes to allowing him to throw the football downfield, make sure he's in rhythm. And running the football will make for, one, more rhythm for him, and two, probably make for more sizable passing lanes, you would imagine. Those safeties creep up. Those linebackers get trigger happy. They're tired of getting gashed. Xavier Worthy's open downfield. Tail as old as time. We understand that. So this is the quarterback situation. We... we Talked about it before, like, I think you have what you need to win this football game and to handle business until you get to whenever Quinn Ewers gets back. And I say that because, not, not because of my overwhelming confidence in whoever plays quarterback for Texas without Quinn Ewers, I say that because what we said a second ago, you will have a better roster, top to bottom, than every single team that you have left on your schedule. If you're playing Bama, Whoa, maybe that conversation changes. You play Oklahoma, yeah, maybe that conversation changes because they match up a little bit better from a roster standpoint. But I think the thing with Texas now, we are peeling back yet another layer of that culture onion. We peel back the layer of how do they handle success? 
You beat Alabama, and now everyone's running and gunning for you. You're no longer, you know, the underdog when it comes to anything with the college football landscape. How do you handle that? They've handled it well for the most part. Well, now you lose a game to Oklahoma. Can you bounce back? Can you find a way to get it done? They passed that test. Maybe not with an A+, but hey, C's get degrees, baby. Just keep a good thing going. They passed that test after the loss, after the bye week, beat Houston. A little bit dinged up. Now the test is, how do you handle things when you don't have your quarterback in the football game? And this is, to me, now maybe you're saying, well, hey, J.D., that's a, that's a schematic thing. we got to find a way to be versatile. we got to find a way to lean on other parts of our football team. I don't disagree with you, but I think that in itself is a culture question. Because good football teams, they have a strong base. And what I mean by that is, if we don't have one part of our operation operating at maximum efficiency on a certain day, we can lean on another part of our football team. And that's what I think Texas is going to have to do the rest of the way here. And this isn't me downplaying anything with Quinn Ewers. I think, if anything, it's just saying championship football teams find a way. Like, if you're not able to, without Quinn Ewers, beat a BYU football team or beat Kansas State or, or beat Texas Tech or any of the teams that we've already mentioned, if you're not able to do that without Quinn Ewers, I think it's very fair to have an honest question about, okay, well, what kind of chops does this Texas team really have? And not from a talent perspective. I'm talking about from a championship medal perspective. Because at the end of the day, again, I'm not downplaying the loss of Quinn Ewers. That's, that's huge, huge, very sizable loss. But at the end of the day, championship teams find a way to get it done. And I think baked into that is the culture. So we're having a tremendous stress test here for the Texas culture, not just because they don't have a ton of huge logos left on the schedule to play, but because there's another test now for them in terms of how they respond with the different external circumstance losing your quarterback it's difficult nobody wishes it upon anybody but for texas now good teams i'll say it again good teams find a way to respond and i'll say this too i think texas will respond i think steve sarkeesian and this team is battle tested to a degree based on the time that he's been there and what they've preached internally for a long time and I'm excited to see how they play. Because, I, again, I have confidence in Malik Murphy. I have confidence in the culture to this point at Texas. And I think it's going to be, for Texas, I think it's going to be something where you can look in the mirror, too, and prove it to yourself what you have culturally. Prove it to yourself, hey, we can lean on the defense. We can lean on the run game a little bit more. We can lean on some of these other skill players to make plays for our first-time starting quarterback, rather, with Malik Murphy. Good teams find a way. I think Texas will find a way. And we will peel back another layer of that culture onion when it comes to the Longhorns. That'll be a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. All right. Hey, make sure you're dialed in. Make sure you're subscribed. Appreciate y'all. Hey, over 100 likes. Never had a doubt, to be real. Never had a doubt. Uh, it's something we've just come to expect from y'all. We talk about, like, internal standards with Georgia, internal standards with Ohio State and Michigan and Alabama and all these great programs like Internal standard here is also extremely high, and y'all continue to surpass it and hold the standard where it's at. So we appreciate y'all for that, and we appreciate y'all being a part of this. And uh, yeah, love y'all, man. All right, so we're about to get some of y'all questions here. In just a few minutes, I got two ad reads for you. While I'm doing these ad reads, get those questions in. Now is the best time to get those questions in because they'll be hot, they'll be fresh. Nick Break can get them out of the oven. We'll talk about them. It'll be a real good time. So before we do that, Got to tell y'all about game time. Now, I want to tell y'all about a time where I was personally down bad. We were down bad. I'm trying to get tickets to a conference title game in college football. And the tickets that I was planning to get 
went out like hotcakes. Like there was a certain allotment for us to get tickets and they were not there. And it was just like, man, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to go see this college football game and this time in, in my life. And there's, there's no way for me to go see it now. How am I going to get it done? Man, I wish, I wish I had had the game time app. I wish I had downloaded the game time app and I would have been good to go to be able to still see this game at the best price. That's the other thing. Like, Game time would have had me covered, and I would also have made sure that I was not getting taken advantage of with any price that was listed anywhere else. If you've used game time, you know it's the best way to acquire tickets for different entertainment events, different sporting events, especially college football games going on in your area. I love that I can I can wait till the last minute. Like I can wake up on a Saturday morning if I want to and say, you know what, I do want to go to Georgia, Florida. I do want to go to Ohio State, Penn State. Bam. Go look at the tickets, best prices, guaranteed. And if you find a ticket in the same row and section for a lower price, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. All right, also delivered right to my phone. I don't have to go do this thing where I pick them up at will call and I got to go find somebody at a tailgate and get the tickets transferred to me some other way, like right to my phone, buying tickets in, in two taps. So another good thing about game time, you can see the view of your ticket before you buy We've all seen these things on social media where guys buying tickets and it's like right behind the pole. Yeah, it's great. You're on the 45 yard line, but you're right behind the pole and you missed the entirety of the game. Doesn't happen with game time. You can see the view from your seat before you buy. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use code hard count for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code H-A-R-D-C-O-U-N-T for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. They get y'all to the games. They get us to the games. We appreciate them for it. So, one more thing I want to tell y'all about bird dogs. Y'all have heard me talk about bird dogs a fair amount on this show, and there's a reason for that. One, because they bring you the hard count. Two, because we believe in bird dogs. Like, bird dogs, for a couple of reasons, is the way to roll here this fall. We talked about it, what it did for you in the summer. You got the shorts. Got the nice liner, moisture wicking fabric. It's, it's got kind of the mesh so you can move around in it. You can go from a workout to a, a tailgate and pretty much wear the same shorts. That's a good deal. Here's the thing now. We're moving in the fall. Crispy season, pumpkin spice season, all that. That's here now. You say, okay, well, J.D., probably time to hang the bird dogs up for a little bit. And, and maybe next summer, when, the, when things warm up a little bit, I'll get back on the bird dog run. No, 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 my friend. Bird dogs got some joggers for you. Everything you love about the shorts same thing is true with the bird dogs joggers and the pants okay breathable fabric can move around in them can go for a run and then get back to your eight to, for eight to five if you wanted to wear those kind of khakis that way not this stiff kind of cardboard fabric gonna take care of you also they look good they look good man it's not gonna be a thing where you got to sacrifice function and comfort for style so get some bird dogs redeem code jd at checkout get you a nice little hydro flask style water bottle Perfect for tailgates, perfect for watching the game at home, perfect for putting a little bit of coffee in there on your morning drive. Like I'm telling you, Bird Dogs will take care of you. Again, redeem code JD to get you that item at checkout. And uh, yeah, man, we appreciate Bird Dogs and appreciate y'all rolling with Bird Dogs, supporting the program. All right. So now breaking down everything going on in the world of college football, your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, heavy lifter extraordinaire, Big game today for our guy, Nick Brake. Nick, 
a lot of questions. A lot of people want to know different things going on in the college football world. But I think the majority of the chat, too, I mean, I was getting like DMs till three in the morning last night saying, hey, Nick's got a game tomorrow. How's he feeling? Do I take the line? Do I take him in prize picks? What's going on with Nick Break? Where's the psyche at? So I want to kind of tee you up first to talk about that. Uh, how are we feeling? Playoffs tonight. Playoffs. Well, J.D., uh, I, I don't know what it may be the title, something about today's uh, show. A lot of new people in here, a lot of people who are regulars. Um, so I will say really quick, I, I play in an adult kickball league. It's mm. depressing that I take it this seriously. Um, but it's playoffs tonight. Win or go home. Could play two games in a row. I'm hoping for it. Sweet 16. OG Gary said, do you go, did you go full messy mode in kickball? It's tonight. Yep. Hopefully tonight's tonight. I do. Um, but yeah, that, there, there's that. Uh, JD, for the people in the, in the chat, um, I'm not, like my tab right now, I'm not on the live chat. I'm in the questions section. Beautiful. I, let out, I listed out a Q&A thing. There's just a lot of uh, comments in there, so I don't want to lose any of them. So if you have a question, get it in there instead. Last thing I'll say, JD, is that mostly today I'm going to be getting to the ones that were asked yesterday that I didn't get to because there it. are quite a few. I love it. Yeah, so with that, with that being said, I'm going to start with King Epic. Asked this yesterday. Thanks for coming back, King Epic. Uh, what three and five head coaches under four years at a, at a current program have done the best job at setting up their program? I asked this wrong. Three, what, what three to five head coaches? Not three and five. But which ones that are kind of in the new era of their program have done the best setting up the program for long-term success? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one that comes to mind, and it's probably going to get a little bit of pushback just because of the way they're playing to this point in the year. They're not going to be a college football playoff team. But, like, I think it's very hard to speak ill of what Brian Kelly's done in two years at LSU. Like, you get to Atlanta last year, you bring in Jaden Daniels via the portal, and he's looking like he's going to be in that Heisman conversation. Like, I think Brian Kelly, you knew what you were getting with him when you hired him in terms of, like, standards, culture, doing things by the book. Like, he's a proven winner. And there was this question of, like, well, is it going to work in the SEC? Uh, by nature of what we've seen to this point, it works in the SEC. They got to buy this week. They go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama next week. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be a great game. He beat Saban his first year on the job. I think Brian Kelly has got LSU cooking with gas right now, and uh, he would be the one that I would co-sign as, like, it's, it's not year three for him just yet, but I'm, t I'm telling you, like, in terms of trajectory, I'm buying stock in LSU for the future. I think they're going to be a team that's knocking on the door of national title contention here a lot sooner rather than later, which is saying something for, uh, for what he's doing there. Okay, J.D., um, a couple of tell J.D. things I, I want to get off before we ask our next question. Um, first one is from Jack Johnson. I'm not a fan of the two-quarterback system. Maybe I'm wrong. What are your thoughts, if any, on Will Howard and Avery Johnson for K-State and how they're in a must-win out for their conference championship season running with two quarterbacks? Yeah, you know, I think if it's any encouragement for you when it comes to Kansas State, they did a version of that last year with Adrian Martinez. Now, I understand towards the end of the year it was the Will Howard show. Um I'm okay with the two-quarterback system so long as the two-quarterback system is clearly defined. And it's like, hey, quarterback number two, you are essentially a, a package kind of quarterback. Like, we're not going to throw you in the game to give us a spark because quarterback one isn't doing what we're asking him to do. Like, you have a defined role. You're wildcat quarterback. You are, you know, situational, short, down-and-distance quarterback we'll roll that way. Because in that way, I think that's much more a part of your game plan. It's more defined as opposed to being this thing where it's like, hey, if 
if Will Howard's not bringing it that day, maybe Avery Johnson ends up being our guy. So I think in that way, I'm okay with it. But I would agree in the sense that if you're playing two quarterbacks, it takes away from rhythm. I think it takes away from the leadership ability of a quarterback, kind of cuts his legs out from under him. So I, I like having one quarterback being your guy, but I think it's very possible to be successful with two quarterbacks so long as, again, it's clearly defined what quarterback two is doing. And uh, there's no, like, looking over your shoulder for, for QB1. So I see the thought there, and, and actually I, I, I agree to a degree. J.D. O.G. Gary asked this yesterday. Um, I didn't want to spill the bad news, but we can today. Asked, are you coming out for the Utah-Oregon game? Oh, I've man. got Utah on another walk-off field goal. You're not going, J.D. Not going. Not going. You got Utah, though, by three. Yeah. Walk-off field goal. Man. Yep. O.G. Gary, that's a good call. I like, I like it. That. I like it. So, wait, so that, that's O.G. Gary's? Yes. Oh, that's not okay. mine. Okay. I, I thought look, you were I'm calling take your Oregon. shot. I thought you were calling your shot. No, right no. I don't. He said 34-31. I don't think Utah's going to score 34 points. Yeah, be, um, could. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess they did last week against USC. That's I mean, true. but, that's true. but it's like, a little different. I think. I'm with. Yeah, a little bit of a different defensive uh, situation there. Not going to be in Salt Lake this week. Uh, we will let y'all know. That's why it's very important to follow me on the social media channels. Those will be the place where we let you know the first about where we're headed any given week. So keep an eye on those. We will have some. Uh, some news coming here in the next couple of weeks, so make sure you're dialed in there. But it will not be in Salt Lake this week. We'll absolutely be tuned in, though. You better believe we'll be dialed into that one. Um, I like the pick. Would not surprise me if, if Utah were to get it done. Uh, we picked Oregon in that game already. Just full transparency. I think there's more ways for, for Oregon to win. But, like, Utah tough defensively, um, playing in Salt Lake in front of a raucous crowd, I'm sure. Uh, I just I wonder if they're able to match points with Bryson Barnes being the quarterback if they take away Sione Vaki. So that's a lot of ifs. Taking away Sione Vaki is easier said than done. Um, but I like Oregon to win that football game. And regardless, excited to watch that football game from the comfort of our house. Absolutely. Our apartment, rather, maybe. OG Gary is an OG, always in the live chat. Mm. Um, so hopefully one day we get to meet up uh, with Gary at a, at a Utah game, right? That'd be phenomenal. Um, I tell JD, and then we'll get to another ask one um, really quick. We got we got a lot, so I'll ask a, a couple more, JD. Perfect. But first, before I do so, Jordan Nichols just wants to say, Georgia does not play like the best team, and it's just a formality to have them at number one because of the last two seasons. Really quickly, JD, fair or unfair? I think it's pretty fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. Like, we, we said it before, too. If Michigan's your number one team in the country, I think that's totally fair. For me, I just I have a hard time not trusting Kirby Smart, his development, the number of five stars they have on that roster, the talent they have on that roster. Like we, We've just seen Georgia be so good the last couple of years for me to think that like they're not going to play their best football in November. So, I mean, if you want to talk about the most dominant team in the country, I think it definitely is Michigan. But, I, again, I would go with Georgia right now as our best team in the country based on what they have internally. And just there, there is some good faith baked in there. That's definitely true. Uh, J.D., this one was asked yesterday, asked again from Aaron, realistic chances of Texas sneaking in the college football playoffs? Very realistic. They, I think they just went out, right? Very realistic. Yeah, Nick, we're, we're in lockstep here, Cross brother. Your Control your own destiny. Probably meet Oklahoma in Jerry World for round two. You take care of business. You hope you get Quinn Ewers back to make that a little bit easier for you, but like you take care of business, you will be in the dance. Uh, tomorrow... Have a segment for y'all coming on the live show. Thought about making it a today segment. We'll have it as a tomorrow segment. Uh, there is a chance here, Nick, that the SEC is on the outside looking in when it comes to Selection Sunday. A lot would probably have to happen. 
there would be some things that would have to go against the SEC for that to be the case. But we'll, we'll break that down on tomorrow's show, uh, a little, uh, little preface. So make sure you're back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. That's something that Trey Yannity, who travels with J.D. to the games yeah. and is my co-producer, always has said all year long, and I've not believed him. I won't, for to spare his humility, I will not tell you which teams he's selected because they all have two or, two or more losses. But sure. He did leave out the SEC, so if he's right about that, man, we need to build him a statue. He called his shot to, <laughs> I think it was at SEC Media Day. We're in line for our credentials, and he's like, man, I think this is the year. That and to be, be clear, uh, Trey went to Alabama. Yes. So, so Trey is not like some anti-SEC kind of guy. Like Trey is from the SEC soil, yeah. to be clear. Uh, but yeah, that was his prediction at the beginning of the year. And, and we'll, uh, we'll see where we stand here on Selection Sunday. But it's not out of the question at this point. J.D., what do we have time for? What do you say for two more? Two more sounds Two more. Good. And then also I want to hear about the uh, – I want to get a little preview for the kickball game too at the end of this thing because I know okay. that's uh, – it's a big one, man. It's a big it's fair. one. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, this question's coming from Sea Dog. Sea Dog, I would assume, is an Ohio State fan. Asked four about Ohio State. I'm gonna ask this one because kind of asked you about you know the odds about Ohio State beating Michigan. We'll get to that when it comes. But yeah. I like this question: Is Kyle McCord a good enough quarterback to beat that Michigan team with his weapons and the defense on the Buckeyes? JD, you talked about it earlier. I think. Could be just good enough for it, right? I think it could be just what the doctor ordered. And, it, and again, it, it looks funny based on what we've seen from previous seasons with Ohio State and what we've come to expect from being the quarterback at Ohio State. Like, you're playing like a first-round pick. You're a Heisman Trophy finalist. And, like, Kyle McCord could still do that. We haven't seen him play to that level just yet, in my humble opinion. But going back to the question... We actually, after this game at Ohio State, did a roundtable segment with Spencer Holbrook from Letterman Row. Go check that out if you haven't. But I think he drew a comparison that is right on the money. And he said to him, Kyle McCord is sort of looking like Stetson Bennett did in that 2021 title run for Georgia the first time they won it. Like nobody was writing home about Stetson Bennett being just like the man for Georgia. In fact, a lot of Georgia fans, after they won the national title, when he decided to come back, they were like, no. <laughs> That's it. No, don't. You already won the national title. Get out of here. We we want somebody else to play quarterback. We want Carson Beck. We want, we want Brock Vandergriff. All Stetson Bennett did the next season was elevate his game and be a Heisman finalist the next season. So all that's to say, I think Kyle McCord and Stetson Bennett, what they did in in that 2021 season for Georgia, like he did enough. Got the ball to playmakers. The defense was tremendous. I mean, it was a, it was a historic defense at Georgia that season. Ohio State, the way they're trending right now, Nick, they're allowing 10 points a game. Top five, top three in the country is Ohio State defensively in a lot of those statistics. So I think he's doing enough. And again, I think he's got just uh, Friday the 13th kind of freaky wide receiver and Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside. And yeah. anytime you make him the focal point of the, the game, like he's going to take over and do some really good things. So uh, Kyle McCord, is he first round pick good right now? I mean, we'll see what happens there, but he's doing enough and Ohio State's undefeated. So that's a great question, though. I like that question, Nick. Yep. Uh, before I get to the last one, there are a lot of them we won't get to today. Um, so I want to shout out Matthew, um, shout out um, Mac and um, Mock Chanel. Uh, come back tomorrow. Ask the question again. Yep. Get to you then. But I want to come. It's first come, first serve today since there are so many. And 515 Dave, which I think is like a middle America area code, like Iowa, Nebraska, something like that. Hmm. This is a Nebraska question. I love it. Because I like talking about Nebraska. I like there talking about the Huskers. So uh, we're going to get to it here. Uh, thoughts on Nebraska's chances in the wild Big Ten West? 
uh, to make the Big Ten title game. We're going to kind of hold judgment on that. I think they're probably, <laughs> you know, we're going to reserve our own judgment. I'll say that right now. Uh, I always, I, we said this at the beginning of the year, and we still feel this way. The best is yet to come for Matt Rule in Nebraska. Like, you did not hire Matt Rule to be your guy in Lincoln to get you to the Big Ten title game in year one. Like, that was a long-term hire. He's a developmental guy. He's a tremendous evaluator, tremendous culture builder. Like, year one, it is what it is. I still think they have a chance to be right in that conversation of playing for a bowl game. So we'll see as that goes on throughout the year where they stand in that conversation. But year one is year one. Don't don't put too much stock into what Matt Rule is going to be at Nebraska in three to four years based on how they look this first season. We make sure we say this with a lot of head coaches in their first year. Uh, there's typically a reason why, why they were hired to be the new head coach. And sometimes it's a situation where, hey, other head coach got a job in the NFL or had a better opportunity or he just wanted to pivot or whatever. But like there was a reason why Matt Rule was brought to Nebraska because it wasn't performing at the level that is expected in Lincoln. So I like Matt Rule a lot. I like Nebraska a lot. Big Ten title appearance. Maybe we'll dial that back a little bit this year. In the future, though, excited to see where they fit in in the new Big Ten with no division. So uh, it'll be an uphill battle, obviously, adding more of some um, phenomenal brands and phenomenal rosters to that Big Ten and taking away divisions. But again, I think the long-term play is still there with hiring Matt Rule, and I'm excited to see what he does there. Uh, I heard that I nailed the area code. Nice, Five and five, Dave. Nice. That's pretty cool. I've, I've tried to learn those. It, I, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting You're thing. You're dialed in, man. Um, but, J.D., man, I think they're going to really, really regret losing to Minnesota on the last game, uh, first game of the year. Yeah, yeah. That man. one's going to sting because sting for a little bit. playing better football, I would say. Don't you think, J.D.? Yeah. I mean, how also, how cool are all the, like, pregame speeches from Matt Rule we're seeing on social media. You, like, hey, you know I'm him better than I do, but dude. I really like Matt Rule a lot. I'm all about those, dude. I'm yeah. all about it. Uh, full transparency, too. I was with Matt Rule for a brief period of time when I was at Baylor, so there's you know some familiarity there, but I'm just telling you, man, he's, uh, he's the real deal in terms of what you see is what you get when you watch him on those highlight hype tapes, whatever. Like That's not a situation where they're saying, hey, Matt, we need a soundbite. Can you give us this for our creative team? Like, He's just spitting bars. One of the one of the best public speakers I think I've probably ever heard just off the dome. He'd walk into the team room and just drop some knowledge on you. Another show for another time. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all about the, uh, the content coming out of Lincoln, Nebraska right now. Uh, Nick, you hit that on the head. You're dialed in. So you started the day already one for one. Mm-hmm. Big game tonight. Yep. Big game tonight. Massive implications. Obviously, I mean, kickball, playoff kind of atmosphere. How are we feeling? What are we expecting? Give us the rundown here as we uh, as we kind of transition into this uh, big time Wednesday. The rest of what we got today. Well, I'd say last year. So last two seasons, I played with the same team. Really tough seasons. We went two and four each year. Um, this year, I don't know what it is. It's not like we have that many new players, but we've just figured it out. We clicked. Uh, we're four one and one heading into postseason. We're the fifth seed out of a twenty four team league, playing the twelfth seed. I said yesterday that's dangerous. But we're playing a guy who um, works at on three. He's a good buddy of ours, Garrett. So uh, he's the He pitcher. was. He's not anymore. Not anymore. Not, not today. today. He's going to be the enemy today. Not but, between uh, the white lines, baby. It's going to be, yeah. I mean, the people in the live chat might know him better as Todd Packer. Because uh, that's Oh, his, uh, you just exposed him. You just, <laughs> you just, in front of everybody, pulled back the curtain and said, get this man. Yeah. Hey, look. That's his, that's his live chat name. There you but, go. Um, yeah. If we win, we move on. We play again. JD, I'm not so sure. 
uh, if two games will fare well. But we'll see tomorrow if I'm still playing, if I won one, if we lost the first. We'll find out. But I'll see you tomorrow then. Good luck, brother. Hey, if nothing else, come back. Yep. Find out what happened in Nick Brake's kickball game, and we'll have a full rundown for you at the end of tomorrow's live show. And uh, who knows, maybe playing some more kickball tomorrow. Playoff kickball, nothing like it, man. Yep. Nick Brake, appreciate you, brother. Yep. Nick was talking a little bit about you know the slow start the last two seasons. I couldn't help but think like, hey, Florida State, they had a slow start the last two seasons, and now they have some, uh, some juice. I guess last year they kind of got some juice and were able to win double-digit football games, and now they're thinking college football playoff, ACC title berth. Like, we'll see. But I'm just saying, uh, they stayed down for the come-up, much like Nick Brake his kickball team hey appreciate y'all being tuned in if we didn't get to your question today come back here tomorrow 11 a.m eastern we're going to be talking potential upsets in week nine and where things stand there we'll be talking about maybe the sec in some way shape or form there's a way where they could be on the outside looking in when it comes to the college football playoff not saying it's likely not saying we're predicting it not saying we're wishing it on the sec but i'm saying there's a world where that could happen that would be a wild world to live in but by nature of what's happened in the news cycle the last couple of days in college football, everything is on the table, as it always is. We appreciate y'all being dialed in. I'm J.D. Pacal. Make sure you subscribe before you get out of here. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Back on the air tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. We will see y'all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.